0: Um, okay, so today we are going to be in Acts chapter 22. Um, I just wanted to get you thinking about tolerating things, because we're going to use that word a lot, but we're, we're going to maybe use it a little differently than we just talked about it. Um, so, in Acts 22, I want you to give me some permission. Can I have permission? Just to, it's going to sound like we're rambling a little bit. I don't think we are. We're going to try to, you got four points, we're going to blitz them pretty quick, because I really want to get to the end so I can help you understand why those four points are even there. Does that make sense? So if you get lost about two or three points into it, it's okay, because it'll all hopefully make sense at the end. If it doesn't, the worst that's going to happen is we're going to go eat, right? (laughs) The worst that's going to happen is you're going to tolerate bad preaching. So we're in Acts chapter 22. Let me give you the big idea right up front. Um, Two blanks. We tolerate... Now this is going to sound like it totally contradicts what you just told me that you tolerate, okay? But again, we're going to talk about kind of how the world sees tolerance, how the world sees tolerating things. So here's the big idea. We tolerate what doesn't agitate. We tolerate what does not agitate. Now we're going to see this take place in Acts chapter 22. Um, Paul has now gotten to Jerusalem in the end of chapter 21. We didn't talk about this last week, but he got arrested, and so he's, on, he's starting to go on trial. And this is like Paul's first big public defense. Has anybody here ever been on trial for anything? I'm just curious. You ever had to take the stand in your own defense? This is what he, I mean, I just, I'm sweating now just because it's hot in here, but I start sweating just because when I think about even going on the stand and having a lawyer like cross-examine me, dude, I'd be like, no, man, seriously, I didn't do it. I didn't do it, man. I'm, I'm serious, man. I didn't do it. And they'd be like, that dude's so guilty, he's sweating buckets. You know, and, be, and it would make me sweat more. I just The whole thought of that freaks me out. But this is what Paul's doing right now, okay? What we're going to read in Acts chapter 22, Paul's kind of, um, he's taking a stand in his own defense. And so this is what he shares with the people in Jerusalem. Now, in Jerusalem, um, this is a very religious city, okay? The Jews and Jerusalem go hand in hand. So we're going to talk a lot about the Jews. You'll see that in your notes. And we're talking about a group called the Gentiles. So just to make it easy to understand for us, Jews are church people. Gentiles are not. Okay. In our society, the Jews are the people that get up and go to church because they think they have to. The Gentiles are the ones that are still sleeping in the bed because they were at the bar Saturday night because they didn't have to go to church. Does that make sense? Okay. So Paul stands up. He's talking to a bunch of Jews, and he's going to share four things. Three of them they're just going to listen to. Have you ever talked to somebody, and you just know they're bored? That's the worst feeling in the world, isn't it? I hate, especially when I'm here and I'm watching y'all, if I can tell that I've lost a crowd, it, is, it makes five minutes feel like five hours, doesn't it? But when they're engaged, when you know you've got them, then it's more fun, well, especially if they agree with you. If you have them engaged but they don't agree with you, then it gets a little, it's still fun, but it's in a very different, life-threatening way. So what we're going to see is that Paul's going to share four things. The first three things that he shares in his defense, don't even move the needle. He's in, he's in Jerusalem, he's in a very Jewish, religious area, and he's going to share three things that I would have thought would have gotten a reaction from the crowd, but they don't react. And then he shares one last thing, and that's what pushes them over the edge. Okay, does that make sense kind of so far? All right, so here we go. Let's just jump right in. Um, well, I'll tell you what they are. We're going to go through these quickly, and then I'll try to hopefully make it relevant to today. Number one, the first thing that the Jews could tolerate was Paul's religious work. Starting in verse 2, Paul says in verse 3, I am a Jew, I'm born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. Under Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers. And here's what he says, and I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, Arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as also the high priest and all the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem and to be punished. So what Paul's sharing right there is he's saying, look, man, I have been busy. I have done religious things. Now, I'm not surprised that they didn't really react to this because they were kind of like, well, yeah, we wanted you to kill those people. So, this is, he's kind of trying to get in with some, with some good graces, but here's what it means for us today. There's one thing that will never bother unbelievers. Guess what it is? You going to church. I don't think, I've never met an, an unbeliever who is bothered by the fact that I get up on a Sunday and go to church while they're sleeping. But we make a big deal about it. Well, you know, I go to church. And you know what they're thinking? Big deal. They don't even react to that. So you go to church. Their response would be, I'm sorry. I was sleeping. The world tolerates our religious work. And they tolerated Paul's religious work. The world is not offended by your zealous work for the church or even for God. Paul was always trying to make it clear that works even well-intended work for God could never be enough to save us, and it would never be enough to save the people around us. Uh, Galatians three three, is what Paul writes. And if you read, you know, if you read like Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, all the books that he wrote, you'll always see Paul coming back to just hammering this thing about works. Galatians three three. Oh, let's start in three one. It's fun because he says, "You foolish Galatians, do you ever call somebody a fool?" And you live to tell about it. That's awesome. Apparently, it was not your spouse. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Basically, who has put a spell on you? Who has who's who has fooled you? Who has tricked you? Who's bewitched you before your very eyes? Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. In other words, I made the cross extremely clear to you. Jesus had to die on the cross for our sins. Verse two. It was it was. I would like you to learn just one thing. I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? Um, He called them fools two times in three verses. After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Paul always, always tried to drive home the fact that it's never your works, never your works, that it's going to glorify God. Never, never. So here he says to them, look, I've done religious things, and they're like, big deal. No one's going to come to the gathering because you and I have worked our fingers to the bone to have God or to have a better church because that does not set us apart from any of the other world religions. Do you know why? Everybody say why. Because they're working hard, too. Do you understand that? So when you say to, um, you say to a, a Muslim, hey, guess what, man? I go to church five times a week. They're like, Well, I pray five times a day. Well, yeah, but I mean, I go even on Friday night to the well. Well, we have like these times when we actually make a a trip to the holy city. It costs us thousands and thousands of dollars. How much does it cost you to go to the well? Oh, well, like two hours of my time. Yeah. So who's working harder? See what I'm saying? Our religious works will never set us apart from other religions in the world. Never. And so when Paul shares the things that he's done, they're like, big deal, dude, we're doing that too. So when, when he shared it, the Jews could tolerate Paul's religious work. They'll tolerate ours as well. Number two, the Jews could tolerate Paul's personal testimony. And this one kind of threw me for a loop. Um, verses 6 through 11. So he shares about his zeal, he shares about all the hard work, he shares about things like that, but then he gets personal, and he says this in verse 6, "...about noon as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, "'Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me?' "'Who are you, Lord?' I asked. "'I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting,' he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me." Verse 10, "...who are you, Uh, what shall I do, Lord?" I asked, get up. I love that. Get up. Sounds like Paul was a teenager in bed on a school day. What should I do, Lord? Get up. The Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you've been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. Listen, Paul shares his testimony. He shares his personal salvation story with Jesus, and they don't even react. And that kind of caught me by surprise because y'all do know like the Jews, they didn't really like Jesus. Y'all remember that part where they killed him? Okay, just make sure you're following the same story I'm following. Um, So I would have expected him to respond a little bit to Paul saying, you know what, Jesus saved me, but they don't. And when you really stop to think about it, it's kind of what we face today. People might get tired of hearing you talk about how Jesus saved you, but for the most part, they're going to tolerate it. Do you know why? Somebody say why? Because it's your testimony. Have you noticed that that's the culture that we live in? They'll tolerate your testimony because it's your testimony. Now, if you tell them it should be their testimony, then they don't tolerate that, right? But it's your testimony. So they're able to tolerate his personal testimony. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't share our testimony. Revelation 12, 11 says that we overcome by the word of our testimony. It just means this. Simply telling unbelievers what Jesus did for you might be enough to help you overcome, but it won't necessarily be enough to help them overcome. Do you understand that? They tolerated his personal testimony. and The third thing that it tolerated. Before I tell you what it is, anybody got really cool stories that God has done for you? I'm reading a book by um, Reinhard Bonnke right now, and he, I was telling Connie, she, I know she heard it because she's like, I heard that story too. He was in this crusade with thousands, tens of thousands of people, and um, he didn't know that a man had brought in a woman on a stretcher who was in a coma. And so as he's preaching, he just felt like he was supposed to give, he just said, I was supposed to give a word of knowledge. He never said what the word was. He just said, but whenever he started telling it, that woman just sat up. That's pretty cool. And then he said, and I love it when it's like, and then there's more, right? And he goes, and in that same meeting, he didn't know it, but as they were praying for just the masses of people. So this isn't even like, hey, can I pray for you specifically, Tim? This is like, hey, let's just pray for everybody. While they're praying for everybody, there was a woman there who had a dead baby in her womb who was going to the doctor the next day to have it removed, and the baby leapt in her when, she was, when he was praying for everybody, and she came running up on the platform and said, I can't believe I can't, this, my baby was dead, and now I feel it moving. And she went and delivered a baby boy, perfectly healthy baby boy. Those are cool stories, and I love it. Like, when we come back from India, um, where's my India team at? You know we're going to have stories. I mean, we're going to come back and go like, man, Koshi said this, and then somebody did this, and then we saw this, and it's like, man, we'll, those are awesome services. I love those kind of services. So Paul shares Um, we'll just call those divine encounters. Okay. Is that fair? Um, Let's just say that the Jews tolerated Paul's divine encounter. Look at verses 12 through 16. He shares about his religious works. He shares about his personal testimony, his salvation. Nothing's moving the needle. He's not getting any kind of reaction out of them. So he goes a little bit deeper. He says, well, hey, not only that, let me share with you a divine encounter that I had. Verse 12, a man named Ananias came to see me He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. And people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember him. I see I heard of him. He stood before me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all men of what you've seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up. Apparently, that was God's word to Paul, right? He's laying on the dirt floor. What do you want me to do? Get up. You just got received your sight. What do you want me to do? Get up. Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away, calling on his name. So Paul shares this divine encounter. And once again, the crowd tolerates it. He even shared in verse 15 that God had called him to be his witness to all men, all men of what he had seen. And the Jews didn't freak out. And why is that? What does that mean for us? It means this, simply, while it might be exciting for us to talk to each other about what these kind of encounters mean for us, it doesn't necessarily create a reaction among the people who need Jesus. Sometimes these kind of stories are awesome for church people. Maybe it doesn't cause unbelievers to react that way. So those are three things that he shares that they tolerate. And here's the fourth thing that he shares that they don't. Paul starts sharing in verse 17 another spiritual experience. Let me read it to you, and I'll tell you what it is. Then I returned to Jerusalem, and I was praying at the temple, and I fell into a trance. I'm looking around to see if anybody's falling into a trance yet today. Nobody so far. And and I saw the Lord speaking. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because they will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, These men know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Quite a testimony. Verse 21, then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles, the people in the bars who aren't in church. Verse 22, the crowd listened to Paul until he said this. So here's what they couldn't tolerate. Now I want you to get this, okay? And, and I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you process it so that it really come, drives home for you. They they tolerate his religious work. The world does not care that elevation is now going to purchase a billion more square foot square footage to build another campus. They're intrigued by it, but they don't protest it. They don't care about your religion. They tolerate your religious work. They even tolerate your personal testimony, which that blows my mind because as a pastor for 20-some-odd years, I have made it a point to help people understand how to share their personal testimony because it's a good thing to do, okay? None of these things are bad. They're good things to do, but that does not even bother the world because we live in a society that says that's good for you, maybe not good for me. They even are not bothered by your testimony stories of divine encounters i mean if you went to your friends tomorrow and and none of them are christians and you start saying man you won't believe what happened like i had a dream last night and in my dream i saw this mountain of chocolate and then we got a golden corral and they've got like a chocolate fountain i saw a mountain of chocolate now we got a chocolate fountain are you kidding me what and they'll say this that's crazy you know what happened to me I went down to see Sister Psychic Susie, and she grabbed my palm, and she told me I was going to meet a man today, and I did. He pulled me over and gave me a ticket. (laughs) Everybody, whether they love Jesus or not, has freaky divine encounter stories. Do you see what I'm saying? What I want you to see is none of these things that we think are awesome set us apart from anybody else in the world. Until we get to the fourth thing that Paul shared. Paul shares that God is sending him to the Gentiles. And the mention of taking the good news to the Gentiles is what sent them into a frenzy. Because the Jews couldn't tolerate Paul's call to the Gentiles. And why is that? And here's the part where we have to really land it and drive it home, okay? Because the Jews couldn't tolerate the idea of those people being redeemed by God. Dang. That's, that's tough. We are, I've said it before, we are in the Bible Belt, which is firmly around the devil's waist. And we are in a place in our country where we don't want to see those people redeemed by God. The religious in this area don't want to see certain people redeemed by God. And it's amazing to me that that's what caused the Jews to flip out. So much so that if you read the rest of the chapter, it actually says that the the Romans who had arrested Paul grabbed him and saved him from the Jews who wanted to pummel him. They put him, they locked Paul away to save his life. That's how much they reacted to the thought of Gentiles hearing about the good news of Jesus Christ. Our big idea, we tolerate what doesn't agitate. Agitate's not the kind of word we go around using a lot because it sounds very negative, okay? But here's basically, if you boil it down, what does agitate mean? It means to stir up. And you and I are called to stir things up. Now, we're not called to be jerks, right? So if earlier when I said, what are the things you tolerate, and your spouse looked at you and said, you, that's a marriage counseling thing, right? You can't go, well, apparently I'm doing what Pastor Paul said because he said I'm called to stir things up, and I'm just going to stir a little bit. No, 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 no. The truth, the gospel stirs things up. The messenger, we don't have to try. We can be the nicest people in the world, but if you share the right thing, people are going to react. Okay? So agitate sounds like a really bad word. It just means to stir things up. And when we share the gospel, the truth stirs things up. John 1, 5, just jot that down. It says that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot, if you have the NIV, it says cannot understand it. And then you got a little letter somewhere. You can look at the bottom and it says also cannot overcome it. And so what you've got to understand is we live in this world and when light shines, the darkness can't overcome it. And you know that's true, right? Because you walk into your kids' rooms on the mornings when you want them to wake up. And if you're a really sweet mom, you go, you shake them and go, Parker, Will, Sydney." But if you're the dad... You just reach your hand around and turn the light on and go, get up. And the light shines and the darkness cannot overcome it. Right? But do my kids try to? I did. My mom, my mom she was sweet. Like, you know, she sang the whole, it's time to rise and shine song. But my dad was like around and flipped the lights on. And anytime time the light came on, what did I do? Did I sit up in bed and go, thanks, dad. I grabbed the covers and tried to overcome the light. Do you understand what I'm saying? So we read John 1, 5 and go, oh, well, the light shines and darkness can't overcome it. It doesn't mean the darkness is happy about it. Right? I think, I mean, you have met people, right? You've shared the light of the gospel and they have tried to overcome it, have they not? They try to push you away. They become agitated. And we we tolerate what doesn't agitate us. And so here's what that means. This is sad for me. I think... When the world's not reacting to the church, that's probably not good. When, it's a, and it's a fine line, right? I mean, we want people to be, Jesus, you see in the Gospels, he was with sinners and they were around him. But at some point, did you read what Jesus shared with people? He said hard things. And at some point they would go, I like Jesus, but I don't like what he said sometimes I think we've made the wrong things our goal. So here's, I'm going to make some statements. There's nowhere on your sheet to fill in blanks, but if you want to flip it over and write these down, these are just, when I got done reading this, I'm like, okay, God, that's fantastic. I mean, really, the way I broke that chapter down, awesome. What the heck's it mean? So I just started asking God, can you just give me, this is for me, just some, some little statements that I can write down on the back of my sheet that I can know, okay, here's what it means. That if 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 they can tolerate all these things, but they can't tolerate his call to the Gentiles, we don't say Jews and Gentiles today, do we? I don't think we do. I mean, maybe you, do you you go and, like, when you order your lunch today, like, ask your server, did they go to church? And when she says no, you go, you uncircumcised Gentile. (laughs) I don't think we talk like that, do we? So at some point, I mean, it's good to to read through. Some of you are going to do it. I can just tell. Um, I think that's a great idea. Um, it's a good time to take a bite of a Twizzler. <laughs> so anyway, thank you so much for the Twizzler, by the way. Um, so I want to break it down. Okay. I want to make sure we walk out of here and kind of know what it means because one, I don't want you to think you can never share a testimony. I don't want you to think that God doesn't want you to work. I don't want you to think that he doesn't want to have give you divine encounters. I, he wants all those things. But it's not enough because the world we live in tolerates all that stuff. And if they tolerate us, they don't listen to us. So at some point, he stirs them up through us. And so here are the, here's the four or five statements. Number one, our goal is not toleration by the world. Our goal is the salvation of the world. Our goal is not toleration by the world. Our goal is the salvation of the world. This is critical because there are so many times that we think we've arrived because they don't. We don't seem to bother other people. And I've been a part of church all my life. I can remember being part of churches where you felt like you were in a cult, not because it was a cult, but because people were just they loved being at the church and they were so on fire for Jesus that outsiders went. That's got to be a cult, right? And. At first, when that happens, and I can guarantee you, somebody somewhere talks about the gathering like that. And at first, it's kind of like, that's cool. They think we're a cult. They think we're a cult. And then you start singing that song, and then they're sure you're a cult because you have a song. But after a while, nobody likes to be thought of as the freak, do they? Okay, that's scary because apparently y'all like to be thought of as freaks. Um, At some point, we don't like to be thought of as the cult. And so we try to fit in, show that we're normal, and we're just like you, and eventually guess what happens? They accept us, we no longer bother them, and we think that's success. But our goal is not to be tolerated by the world. Our goal is the salvation of the world. If the world is tolerating us, I don't think we're sharing the whole gospel. Here's another statement. This one's a little hard, so I'm going to say it and we'll process it. Jesus isn't just my Lord, your Lord, or our Lord. He is the Lord. He isn't just my Lord, your Lord, or our Lord. He is the Lord. And this is why the Jews struggled with Paul. Because the Jews said, that's our God. Don't even think about going to share our God with those people. I mean, does, it make, does it make sense for you guys? I mean, is this hitting you like it hits me? Because I see me all over this in the bad part, <laughs> you know. Like, I think I think that way sometimes. The world's perfectly okay with him being your Lord. And believe it or not, the world's perfectly okay with Jesus being our Lord. Because that just makes us a group of people that get together on Sundays in a coffee shop and eventually in that room. But the minute, the minute that you say to the world, no, 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 no. Yeah, he's my Lord. But Jesus is the Lord. Guess what that makes them have to do? Choose whether they want to bow their knee, their life, their rights to them, to him or not. As long as he's your Lord, it doesn't bother them. But the minute that we proclaim that Jesus is the Lord, the King, they have to make a decision. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's like, he's the Lord? Yeah. Of everything? Yeah. Like, But he's cool with me shacking up, right? Well, he's the Lord. Oh. But like taxes and stuff, I can cheat on those. Well, he's the Lord. See what I'm saying? When he's lifted up as the Lord, everybody has to make a decision. But we've settled for telling the the, the world that he's my Lord. And they're okay with that. He's called us to exalt him so they see that he is the Lord. Here's another statement, third statement. God's way rubs man's way the wrong way. I love that. That's fun to say. God's way rubs man's way the wrong way. If we're honest, many times God chooses people and plans that aren't the people and plans we would have chosen. Is that fair to say? Like right now you're going, I would not have picked Paul to be the pastor. Too bad. God did. <laughs> Sucks for you. We can fake it and act like we're okay with it, but it's probably better to understand the truth that there will be times that the people God saves might actually bother us. If you've had family members come to know Jesus, you get this. Because you're like, wait, God, you can't accept my dad. He beat me. He grounded me for nine weeks. I missed the miracle on ice in 1980 because I couldn't watch TV because I made a D in English. Hypothetically, that may have happened to me. (laughs) I'm not still bitter about it at all. I'm just sharing it with you for your clarification. See, we hold so many, we hold grudges, and we see people, we lock them in there. That's a bad person. And, the, and I know, God, I know you can save everybody, but surely not him, surely not her. There's no way my boss can be redeemed. God's way rubs man's way the wrong way. When we understand that God's plans to save men from every tribe, I love we read in Revelation today. Every tribe, every nation. Every tongue, you can just check out Revelation 7, 9 through 10 for that. We begin to realize that his way is so much better than ours. Isaiah 55, 8 says your ways are higher than our ways. And that's good news, right? Look at the person next to you and say, that's good news. I did that just for Wendy. She hates when I do that. Here's why it's good news. Because if you and I get to pick who gets saved, we're going to have one color, one type of. Of church, and it's gonna be boring. An amazing thing is, it would result in a church that looks exactly the opposite of heaven. Heaven's gonna be filled with people that you would never have chosen to be friends with. Isn't that crazy? Every nation, every tribe, Every time. Now, let me just give you a real practical example. I'm shy, okay? I really am. I'm an introvert. This That's the way my personality is. I hide it well. But if I could choose, I would choose a, at home a book, a computer game, watching the Panthers by myself. I'm not the guy that wants to go to a bar and eat wings and hang out with a bunch of crazy people. That wears me out. I'll do it, right? But when I get tired, I just want to go be by myself. So this past um, Monday night, I'm at a church planner summit in Rocky Mount. And we're we had like meetings all day long. So by the end of the night, how am I feeling? I'm a little worn out, right? But they decide, hey, let's walk downtown and have a big ice cream social. And it reminded me just of this place. It was like downtown Albemarle, all these buildings, and it was just like this. And we walk in, they're serving us ice cream, and everybody starts immediately going like getting in groups of two and three and having conversations and I'm alone. Cause that's just how I and I that's just how I am. And I'm not happy in that place alone because I feel the pressure of talking to people, right? This story's going somewhere. Hang with me. So I go over and I get my cappuccino crunch because it's Hershey ice cream, which is the best. And I'm walking back to my seat. And as I'm walking back to my seat thinking, God, I'm in a church planter summit. I think I'm supposed to be talking to people, other church planters, getting ideas. I see this one man who is obviously not American. And he's sitting by himself. And God said, there's somebody. I went, you crazy, God. It's hard enough for me to have a conversation with a white American that speaks southern, right? That I can understand without me talking to somebody who's not from here. Obviously, he was from India. And I know that every other word I'm going to be like, I'm sorry, excuse me, what? (laughs) Awkward. But I sat down next to him and I just started having a conversation. And he talked and he talked and he talked a lot. And you know what I found out? Here's how I, I got to meet. I got to meet Sam Daniel, which is not the name I was expecting, okay? Sam Daniel from India. Okay? <laughs> Irony. Um, so I meet him, and I find out here's a man. I'm sitting here talking to a man who has single-handedly been responsible for the planning of 100 churches. And, and he's so humble. He said, no, 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 I didn't plant 100 churches. I planted 16. I said, yeah, but like those 16 multiplied and multiplied and multiplied, right? Oh, well, well yeah, to 98. A man who, um, as we're talking, says this to me. He says, um, so I'm in Saudi Arabia for 23 years, and I planted 48 churches until I was deported after being put in jail. I went, really? You're kidding And, of course, this is all interspersed with, what? I'm sorry, what? What? I don't understand. What? And then he says, have you ever heard of Condoleezza Rice? Condoleezza Rice. And I went, like, the Condoleezza Rice? And he goes, yeah. I said, "Uh, yeah, I've heard of her. Have you ever heard of World Magazine? I don't know if any of you have ever heard of World Magazine, but if you haven't, it's a great magazine. World Magazine just kind of covers news from a Christian perspective and I said like the World Magazine he went yes I said now are, is this the part where you're going to tell me that you're that they wrote a story in World Magazine about you that includes Condoleezza Rice and he says yes <laughs> like we're in Rocky Mount you know that right like, they wrote, they wrote an article in World Magazine about Sam Daniel. It is in the November edition of 2005 of World Magazine because I found it just to verify that this wasn't a crazy person talking to me. And the picture in there is of Condoleezza Rice. Yes, that person who argued his case to have him released from prison. Listen, all I want you to get out of that story is this. It was awkward for me to sit down and talk to that man and he's a believer. We have Jesus in common, and it's still awkward. We get to heaven, and we're surrounded by every tribe, every tongue, every nation. It's, it could still be, I mean, there's, it's just hard. It requires effort. I would not have chosen that. What I would have chosen is that we would have a church of 3,000 people that I instantly relate to, and do you know why I would choose that? Everybody say, why? Because it makes me a hero, And it requires no effort. What I want you to understand is, we don't tolerate the things that we like. That's where the world gets it so wrong. Everybody's preaching tolerance. They don't really mean tolerance. They just want you to agree with everything they say. But you can't tolerate what you agree with. I am not tolerating a Twizzler. I like them. I do not tolerate watching Panthers games. I like them. If you give me chocolate, I will not tolerate chocolate. I like it. Do you know what I tolerate? I tolerate when Wendy puts mushrooms in the spaghetti sauce because I hate mushrooms. But my whole family loves mushrooms. And so I just, we had to come up with a compromise. Like just, will you please just use really big mushrooms so I can see them to pull them out? I hate mushrooms. I tolerate that. You see what I'm saying? When I ask you the things that you tolerate and you mention all the bad things, that's actually the truth. We tolerate what we don't like. We don't tolerate what we do. And so when people come in here that are different than us, it's supposed to feel a little bit like, that's cool, yucky, all at once. But I love it. God's way rubs man's way the wrong way. Two more, then we're done. Um, This one. I try to make it rhyme, it's probably gonna sound lame, but here we go. The only right response to agitation is medication, and I don't mean drugs, because you'd be like, "Ultra call now. (laughs) Just as I am with a lot of morphine, right? Um, But here's what I mean by that. We give grace. That's the only proper response to agitation. So I mowed the grass yesterday, just as much as I could get done before the big rainstorm, so the front half is done, yes. but don't go behind my house. And when I came back in, like, I, you know, I had irritation on my skin. Do you ever get, like, a rash or something? What do you do with a rash? Now, if you're a man, your answer to a rash is, I don't go away. But if you're smart, the answer to a rash is ointment, right? Grace. When things irritate us, when you're agitated by something, guess what that is really? It's just a sign from God. Man, you need to put more grace on that. That's all it is. We get all hot and bothered because we're agitated, and God's going, dude, like, I created you that way so you would know this is a sign. Throw more grace on that. Ointment on that. That's all it is. So the only proper response to agitation is medication. Ephesians 2, 4 through 8, you can read it later. It mentions three times in that passage, those four verses. It mentions three times that grace is how God responds to us. And so that's how we respond to others as well. And while we're in Ephesians chapter 2, let me just give you one more. And this, God showed me this as we were in the back praying. Grace makes outsiders insiders. Okay, here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. Verses. we'll start in verse 11, and we really are almost done. This is the verse that gave us the whole name, The Gathering. You know how we talk about being near God and near man? This is where that comes from. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles, and everybody point to a Gentile. And you could point at anybody, because is there anybody here that's a Jew? Okay, we have one Jew. Fantastic. Everybody else, Gentiles. Okay? So... Pray for us, right? Pray for us. (laughs) Because we are apparently the uncircumcised Gentiles. Um, No, I'm not. Anyway, we are Gentiles though. So when it says, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth, that is us. Okay? That's pretty much all of us in this room. So here's what it says about us. And called uncircumcised by those who themselves were the circumcision Verse 12, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. So to sum up verse 12, we were separate, excluded, foreigners, no hope, no God. That was you. That was me. That's an outsider, a Gentile. But now, verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought what? Near God, near man. You have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Now, what did Paul say that threw them over the edge in Acts chapter 22? He said, God told me I'm going to send you far away to the Gentiles. Why is the gathering here? We exist to be near God. In order to be sent to those far from him. So that we can bring them near God. That's what this is talking about. Verse 14. For he himself is our peace. Who has made the two one. And has destroyed the barrier. The dividing wall of hostility. Sorry. Every time I read that. I picture neighbors who can't get along. And their solution is build a fence. I can't stand you. I don't know why you bought the property next to me and you just get on my nerves and so I'm gonna build a fence so I don't have to look at you. That's their answer. And so here's what I want you to understand, okay? Tolerating things in our culture, that's tolerating things. We build a fence, we never have to talk about it. I'll tolerate you and your politics and your religion and your opinion because we're never gonna talk about it because I'm gonna build these fences. We're gonna compartmentalize everything, and we brought that right into the church. We compartmentalize everything. I have my Sunday life, but my Monday through Saturday life is my time. I've got my little offering I give to God, but then i got my 99.99% that I use for my big screen TVs. I've got all this. I'll do for God something, but I'll do all this over here for me. We, we brought all that in. It's just a lie from Satan. Because Jesus came to abolish the walls that divide. See, see how, cool, how cool that is? I love that. Look around the room. This is a small little church and a coffee shop. And I love the variety of people we have in here. And we're not talking about color. Just the variety of people. I mean, we got cool people. We got people from all walks of life in this place. And I love it. And sometimes we have people that come in here, and they don't even love Jesus. And you know what they'll say? I just like how I feel there. I love that. Because Jesus came to abolish the wall. He tore that wall down. And that's good news if you feel like you're on the outside, and I spent my entire life feeling like an outsider. My enti- I, we don't even have time to talk about the days I would spend my lunch break in high school in a tuba closet wanting to die. I have spent my entire life feeling like an outsider, and Jesus brings me in, and I love that, and if you're here, and you feel like an outsider, you got hope, because you're no longer without hope in the world, because Jesus came for you, and brought you near. We read John 13, 35 last week, this is the last verse, and then we'll pray, now let's just read it again. Jesus said, they'll know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. So here's what he didn't say. He didn't say that they would know that they were his disciples because of how hard they worked or because of their amazing testimonies or even because of unbelievable stories about how God had moved in their life. All those things are good. None of them are good enough. To show the world that we're his disciples, the only real proof is that we love, truly love one another. And when the world sees that They will not sit back and tolerate that. They will notice it. And as a result, they'll see Jesus in us. And listen, church, that has been and always will be the goal.